Hey everybody, welcome to episode 191 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason, Joke one Venable, and I'm joined once again by flashback co-host Cameron, Joke two Sinclair. Hey Cameron, how are things? Uh, good. Good. Excellent. Good to hear, good to hear. So, um... (laughs) It's time for a flashback episode. Flashback! That's right. We're going to talk about the uh, debut of Genosha. Yes! Yeah, so pretty Very big exciting. deal for the X-Men. It'll play into lots and lots and lots of stories in the future. And this is where it all starts. Right here. We will talk about... This, other- this is the beginning. Yes. That is correct. Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk about Uncanny X-Men 235-238, so a four-part series, and we'll, I'm sure, have a lot to say about it. Um, Before we get yep. to that, though, you saw Secret Life of Pets, right? Yes. <laughs> Had to think about it. So I have a couple of things I, I want to, to to mention about it, okay. and I'll use this as my platform. Uh, All right. Two bits of controversy that I, I don't know why people aren't talking about them. <laughs> and one of them I may be way out of line on, so if in the final cut of this episode there's only one bit, you'll know I edited the other one out. <laughs> all right. So first of all, I'm all for like putting things in kid movies to make them equally enjoyable for the parents as well, right? Yeah. Like, I'm all for that. And I'm all for us making strides in animation to be more realistic. Yes. You know, to reflect the world around us and all its complexities. Do they really need to give the cat a butthole? Oh, gosh. I don't really remember that. Every time he turned around from the back, there's this big pink sphincter in the middle of the screen. I'd imagine it's only worse in 3D. But That's interesting. That's funny. Yeah. So, luckily, I don't think Ethan noticed it, but I definitely noticed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other one. I mean, you know, cats have buttholes. So yes. Yeah, and I see my dogs every day. It's not that scandalizing. No, I guess it's just you know, like I've never seen Garfield's butthole. I agree. It is. It does seem unnecessary. <laughs> but it's like I mean, it's not like they're they're they still they continue to edit out all the dog dongs. Do they? I think so. I mean, I don't ever, I don't ever see any lipsticks popping out in the middle of these movies, <laughs> except for Garden State. But that's a part of the gag, but, right? But I, that's what I mean in a cartoon movie like this. They, they're not drawing. Oh yeah, no. So you know, so I my my point is that I agree with you. It seems like an an odd, unnecessary, unnecessary, oddly unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. All right. So the other bit of contention. That I have, and I may be way overanalyzing this, but it just struck me as very, that's weird. All right, so I grew up in Garland, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. Yep. And Garland's, it's a pretty big suburb, yep. and mostly, I wouldn't say it's like urban, it's still a suburb, but it's pretty city, right? Yeah. I mean, for the most part. Yeah. And you now live in Saxe, or yep. Wiley, which one? Saxe. Saxe. All right. And so Saxe has grown up a lot in the last 20 years. When I was in high school, 
they didn't have their own school district or anything. They they still don't. Okay. Well, so they were kind of glommed into Garland, and I guess they still are. But yeah. um, when I, when I was in high school, Saxony was like still very much the country. Yeah. And so all the Saxon kids that came to our school were pretty. Well, I won't say all. That's that's way over generalization. But there was a good chunk of like Saxon kids that were like kind of rednecky. Still pretty country. Yeah. Yeah. Still pretty country. And um, with that, unfortunately, also came some racism. What? Right. Yeah. And so I remember, and I never heard this before, and haven't heard it a lot since. And I apologize if this offends any listeners. I'm just relaying a past experience. Um, that one of the racist words they use was coon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So there's this weird line that doesn't really have anything to do with the plot and doesn't refer to a character they show, but they say the raccoon was lying about being president. Okay. And it's just in the middle of the movie while they're running through the sewers, the rabbit says that. And it might be like an attempt at satire or something, but it seemed really weird that there's this raccoon that's not in the movie that they reference. Could be a racist term, maybe. I don't think in that context it necessarily was. But then when you throw in the fact that we are currently have an African-American president and they say something derisive about it, it just, it just kind of stuck out to me. And I don't know what their intention was or maybe there was no intention at all. It may even refer to like a cut scene. I have no idea. But yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was very strange. And I was like, that, it just felt out of place. But... Yeah. Well, I didn't catch that line, but that, that is a weird, that'd be a weird thing to throw in. I would assume if that's what they were going for, that I would assume that it was supposed to be some kind of satire, like some you kind of... You would think so, especially with Kevin Hart saying <laughs> Right. But I, I think... I think it might it could have just as easily been a nonsense, like just yeah, a, yeah. It definitely could have. It just I don't know something about it just kind of. But it does seem something. It does seem like something that an editor somewhere should have caught. Right. And said, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't use this phrase. Right. Maybe we should change this. Maybe we'll say <laughs> or something. Yeah. Something. Yes, but anyway, this is not the podcast <laughs> that goes, um, what's wrong with our kids' movies? Um, it's the secret life of pets. Yeah, the secret life of film editors. Trying to it speak. was a good movie, though, overall, I thought. Yeah, I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, and Ethan loved it, too. So, it was one of those movies that I asked him what his favorite part was, and he was like, uh, all of it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think most of the funniest parts were in the previews, but... Um. Yeah, I probably. Like I don't really remember what was in studios the studios. Have kind of got now where they. That's just what they do. Yeah. Like they just put all the yeah, best. Yeah, they blow the load. Yeah, for sure. So there's not a. There's very little pretension. Yeah. And on a side note, related to this, have you finished Stranger Things? We finished it last night. Yes. So. What'd you think? Loved it. Yeah. Right. So we spoil. Do we want to spoil things? I have yeah. a question. All right, so when we're done, then I have some questions. Still for new you. enough. I think it's still yeah. new enough. That yeah, you yeah you're right. All right, so when we're done, I got, I got questions. At some point, someone needs to set a a spoil date for streaming TV. I mean, I, I think I feel like culturally and as a society, we need to do that. Yeah, I think people are pretty good. I mean, besides your jerks. 
But I think most yeah. people are pretty good with TV shows and, and movies yeah, in relation to release dates. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Like at some point, now that everything is just like... Because like Orange is the New Black, the season three, I think, whatever the last one was, it dropped. We watched it in like a couple of days. And then we were at the movies, and one of the characters from Orange is the New Black was in the movie, and something big had happened to that character this season. We were like, oh my gosh... And then the person next to us also had that same reaction. Ah. But they had to think, well, I don't want to say because if they just if they're just reacting because this this character this well, that's character, when you just go, orange is a new black, and then you nod. Yeah, I just kind of said, oh yeah, we're. I think Amy asked, you know, are you guys caught up? We just finished it or whatever. <laughs> but I thought these are these situations now because it's like you know, some people sit down and watch a series really quickly. Most people don't. I don't know. It depends on schedules, I would say. Yeah. But, but yeah, I feel like there should be some kind of culturally appropriate time where we just say, okay, it's been six months. If you haven't watched it yet, that's on you. SOL, yeah. I mean, you still don't want to be a jerk. Even about old movies, you don't have to be a jerk and just be like, he died in the end, you know. <laughs> right. But at least in the context of talking about something. And so I feel like there's a point where the onus as the the original viewer right now the onus is on me to not spoil it for someone else right but at some point it's going to switch and the, the onus is on the other person to say hey i haven't finished it yet right and then i agree so let's use your podcast yeah to send, send in your votes tell, tell us when it is so yeah. my vote is going to be whenever i finish something that is the official <laughs> date <laughs> No, you always finish stuff way before I do, so. Not always. Not always. No, you haven't. You, you still haven't watched Fargo yet. Yeah, I haven't watched Fargo season two, so. Yeah, true. All yeah. right, we're even. <laughs> there you go. Okay, podcast about movies. All right. Yeah, uh, thank Ding you for joining us. Yeah. Now we're gonna transition to our new show. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be all about Wolverine. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, podcast goes, bub? Well, yeah, we'll call it that. All right. Hey, bub, I hope this hurts. <laughs> I think that was my favorite line from this uh, this arc. It was pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Genosha. Uncanny Genosha. X-Men 235, 238. Yep. Nice little chunk. Now just dive right in. Um, so, 235, I'll cover that. It's called Welcome to Genosha, oddly enough. Welcome to the jungle. What? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is... Oh, never mind. I went right past it. Yeah, you did. Uh, written by Chris Claremont. Pencils by Rick Leonardi. Inks by P. Craig Russell. Or Craig Russell, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Colorist by Glennis Oliver. The letters by Tom Orzakowski. The cover is also by Leonardi and PCR is apparently his uh, preferred name. Not to be confused with PBR. Past yeah. Blue Ribbon for all you hipsters out there. Yeah. So on the cover we have the X-Men surrounded by some Genotians or at least some, mm-hmm. some shadowed, shadowed soldiers. All right, so on this show, I've been I've been standing up, sticking up for Rick Leonardi. 
Andrew has vehemently disagreed with me. You've somewhat disagreed with me. And Pat hates him. So I've been sticking up for him, but this cover does absolutely nothing for me. It's not very well done. I do not care for it. There's not really... There's really. I was thinking about it. There's not really anything... It's not awful, but there's nothing about it that is like, well, this isn't that good, but this part, I mean, there's nothing redeeming about it. It's just weird faces, odd body shapes, and kind of boring layout. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a good cover in my, in my estimation. Ricky Lee. Ricky Lee. Yeah. All right. So we start off in the land of Genosha where a mutant father is running from the magistrates to hide his son on a plane with some snakes to escape the country. Get these. Yeah. Yeah. I I found this um, a little bit upsetting in the same way that why I had to stop watching The Road about 10 minutes into that movie. Because I was like, I I can't, I just can't watch a man running away with his son because it just, it stresses me out too much. Well, luckily, he at least partially succeeds. Yeah. Uh, but he is executed for attempting escape. Yeah. The press gang, who will become clear in future issues, and this issue wasn't completely clear, so I wrote in parentheses, Genosian bounty hunters, question uh, mark? Yeah. They will be, but right now they're just the press gang. They arranged to meet Nurse Ransom in Australia. Madeline Pryor, who we all know and love, is her pilot. The press gang is there to return Nurse Ransom to Genosha. When they resist, they beam Ransom and Madeline back to Genosha through the internet, maybe? Of course, kidnapping Madeline gets some unwarranted attention from the X-Men. Rogue finds her plane, and then Wolverine tracks them to Sydney International Airport, where they meet up with the rest of the X-Men. Wolverine and Rogue continue to track to a hospital where the press gang are trying to recover the baby from the beginning of the issue. Wolverine and Rogue attack, but more magistrates are teleported in via a modem, and they're blown out the window. The rest of the X-Men arrive and engage. They capture the magistrates for the local cops, but the press gang got away with the baby, baby, and also with Wolverine and Rogue. That's our first chapter. So a couple of things worth pointing out. First appearance of Genosha. Obviously, talked about that a little bit. Also worth pointing out, as we're kind of building towards some other stories, Havoc's very protective feeling for Madeline. Yeah. So that'll kind of build and build and and actually pay off and go somewhere. Um, The other other thing I kind of thought was funny is on page 20, one of the cops is Officer Dundee. You know, obviously we're in Australia, so, you know, <laughs> joke's on us. That's funny. And I pro- this is probably around the time of the first one, or is it later, you think? I, I don't remember when Dundee really? came out. I need to know that fact. I hope it was a few years before and the joke's really stale. But <laughs> let's see. Let's IMDB that bad boy. Already on it. Crocodile, 1986. So, yeah. Oh, pretty recent. Crocodile Dundee 2 came out in 88, so right around this time. Oh, yeah, right around. All right. All right, Claremont, you're on point. You're topical. And then Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, 2001. Yeah. 
that happened. Not sure that. <laughs> yeah, I thought the the one of the things I was going to mention is I thought a couple of things. Um, the term gene joke I thought was interesting. Yeah. Because I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen it before. That's a new. No, we had Gene Trash, I think. Yeah. Uh, a couple a issues that, back, but Gene Joke is is a new one. I don't think it. Maybe we'll talk about it a little more later. But once they introduce the role mutants play in Genosian society, I don't think the term makes sense for the way people would refer to them. But we can come back to that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's interesting. I don't like the term, but I like the use of the term. It's interesting. But I don't think it fits the way in which I'm, you know, history guy here, right? So I'm, in my mind, I compared a lot of this with obviously American slavery. Right. And so I thought about just the way in which people would have been derogatory about slaves in the past. It seems like an interesting one to, to the joke of the gene is a joke when it's like their whole society is built on the fact that these people have mutated genes. Right. So, but I don't know. We can talk about. It. We can explore that more later. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Gene Engineer was a ridiculously hilarious name. Do <laughs> <laughs> we like, find out his real name in this one, or is that the next one? That's the next one. Okay. Yeah. Because well, I, yeah, I wrote that in my notes for the next one. Okay. Because that's an interesting reveal too. Yeah. Uh, the name Punch Out. I was like, come on. That's the phone right. and end names like we talked about before. Right. I, I kind of like Bob- Press Gang, though. I don't mind that. Press Gang is interesting. I thought that was interesting. And the the ter- the um uh what was the the guy that teleported people? Hardwire or no? No, no, not hardwire. I think it was mainframe. Livewire? No, it was something else. Whatever it was. Anyway, I thought the idea of the binary transport was interesting. The idea of breaking people down into information. It reminded me of Willy Wonka. Yeah, well, kind of the silly version of that. But I thought it was an interesting way of addressing the concept of transport, of uh, teleportation. So, other thing, last thing I was going to mention. Pipeline? Is that his name? Pipeline, that's right. Yeah. Does In the past, has Rogue physically morphed to adapt to the people she's absorbed? Because I didn't think she really ever did. I think it depends on the powers. So uh, that's because, like, she has gotten el- like physical elements of other people's powers. Uh-huh. Yeah, remember when she did the whole hybrid thing where she was like Colossus and yeah, Nightcrawler. Yeah, right. So it depends on what she's absorbing. Okay, like, like if that's not inherent to the person. I think she just takes on the attributes. But if the if the if their power is inherently physical or has a physical manifestation, then she yeah, yeah she'll take that. Away. All right, that makes sense. Let's just punch out. I, I guess the idea is that she's massive and muscular, and that is that itself is part of the the mutation. So right. Okay, withdrawn. Withdrawn. Overruled. Withdrawn, counselor. <laughs> when the podcasters right. please approach the bench. Um. <laughs> Uh, anything else you want to hit on this particular issue? Um, nah. All right. Well, much like the cover, um, I did not care for this art at all. It felt really, really... I mean, it's one thing, you know, one thing we've kind of disagreed with in the past. It's one thing to say, well, it's stylized, and you either like or dislike his style. But even in the realm of Leonardi's style, this felt yeah. very loose and sloppy, yeah. and I just did not care for it. Yeah. 
Um, I didn't mind it that much, but I but I agree with that point. It it just it seemed and it just seemed kind of sloppy and kind of wacky almost. So which is yeah. probably too strong of a term, but like the way the the lines. How dare face, you, sir? I know it's just kind of like wacky. Like he was going for. Uh, I want this to be a little more crazy looking, right? For no real reason. It doesn't really fit the story, and we'll talk about that as we because we have alternating artists on this arc. Yeah. So yeah, we'll definitely the hit the the strengths and weaknesses of, of the art. But um, so as a setup, it wasn't bad. There were a couple of them, like like you said, kind of emotional parts: the father and the son. But we really just barely get a glimpse into what's really going on in Genosha. It's not really fleshed out much this issue. And so while you know, spoiler, I like this arc a lot. Uh, this first issue for me is gonna rate a little lower. So yeah, I I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was I thought it was a good setup. Maybe not a great setup though. Yeah. In the, you know some of the other big arcs we've seen, it's like they hit the ground running. Right. This one seemed like they they kind of struggles not the right word, but it's like they just kind of really took their time to tell this setup when there's not a, really a lot to set up. <laughs> right. I mean, at least from, from what we get here, they haven't really set up much. But I mean, I I wanted to keep reading. I I was very interested, which could be because I know, of course, the future of everything. But right. Uh, but I, I I enjoyed it. I thought the the tension of the father, even though it was a little sad, I thought that was a, a good build. You could tell definitely there's something really bad going on. If someone's going to abandon their baby that way, I liked the. Um, I like kind of the back and forth with Madeline. I thought Rogue and uh, Wolverine. I, 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 I like that they're a great team. Uh, yeah, I like them together. I did really. I really liked where they fought Punch Out the first time. Yeah. Where Punch Out punches Wolverine and he falls down, but then she's like, "Oh, my hand hurts." <laughs> then she tries to punch Rogue, and Rogue just catches her hand. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty great. Yeah. All right. But, well, when you want to grade Uncanny two thirty five. Um, I think still probably five out of six, maybe a little high, but I think I'm gonna go. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go a little low. I'm gonna do three out of six claws. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I really like where this goes. Uh, that issue in and of itself just didn't overall do much for me, and a lot of it was I really disliked the art. But yeah, I wasn't as bothered as bothered by the art as you, I guess. So right. probably added something to it. Fair enough. Okay. So two thirty six in the books, or two thirty five in the books. Yeah. Two thirty six, activate. All right, two thirty six. Yeah. We got busting uh, loose. Chris Claremont, writer Mark Silvestri, returning as penciler. Your favorite Dan Green is anchor, oh, yeah. and Petra Scotese is uh, colorist, and of course Tom Orzechowski is letterer. This one starts with one of my favorite X-Men covers. Yeah, I like it I a lot. I always loved this cover. This is a this is one of the first early X-Men comics I ever bought myself. I remember you getting it and being very jealous of it. Yeah, and I I I've always thought this I think partly because it reminded me of a Punisher War Journal commer- uh, commercial commercial. <laughs> a Punisher War Journal cover. Right. Of course that we were huge into War Journal. Oh yeah. It, it reminded me of that, and so I think that's why I liked it so much at the time. And I still, I don't know, just something very cool about it. Yeah. So it's like a wooden table or something. Yeah, it's like a 
like when you see if you see pictures of people who who like uh, fish for marlin or sharks or whatever, and right. so they're standing there with like a barrack, you know, some kind of um, what's the word I'm thinking of trellis, I guess that's not right. the right word, something like that, where they're and they got Wolverine and Rogue hanging by their feet upside down with two dudes with a big gun standing next to them, yeah. proud of themselves, posing. Yeah, and it says magistrates two. Mutant Zero. And it's and then, a photograph, I should say. And it's on a table, and there's like bullets sitting on top of the photograph. I don't know. Just, it's just yeah, great. It's great. It's a great idea, a great layout, and of course, Silvestri nails it. Just, um, it's a perfect amount of like sketchy to his style, but yeah. it looks really good. Yeah, I love this cover mm-hmm. a lot. Very nostalgic, but it also holds up to me. Like, I still like it. Yeah. I think so very much. So 236, we open with, at the very end of 235, Rogue and Wolverine were transported. And they had made a comment that um, they were going to put program in a sedative, whatever that exactly means. Um, So somehow whenever he sent them, he added a sedative to their system in the transfer. Yeah, he programmed that in, in the transportation process. Right. Trans, trans, uh, teleportation. I keep saying transportation. I'm getting stuck on it. Teleportation process. Anyway, we open up with a naked rogue and a naked Wolverine kicking some real ass, just tearing the place <laughs> up. Where it's obvious that they were, they materialized and immediately started beating the crap out of everybody. Awesome. It's what you want. And so go from there. Everyone's doesn't understand what's happening. Uh, they say that the guy did program in the sedative, but that it didn't work for whatever reason. And so, of course, they came out swinging. Um, and so we have uh, about three pages of pretty much just, or four pages of pretty much just fighting. Just trash in the place. All these Genosian magistrates not understanding what's happening. Um, in the middle of the fight, they find Madeline and Ginny, the nurse, in the cages. And Rogue uh, rips them out of the cage. But then this old dude shows up that I thought was supposed to be a priest at first because of his outfit. Yeah, but then it kind of looks just like, like a, Just a black cloak or whatever. But anyway, called Wipeout, which is a really funny name for Wah, him. Wipeout. Of course, you think about surfing. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and so he shows up and basically erases their powers. And so Rogue tries to fly and just falls on her face. Then we cut to somewhere else on the island where we learn, one, that the gene engineer likes gardening. Two, that he has a son that is a bit of a, not a morning person. (laughs) Um, And that the doctor's name is Dr. Moreau, Hmm. which of course, Great um, literary symbolism. Yeah, a little on the nose, but it, it works okay. Well, very on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, occasionally there's, uh, you know, they, they like to go direct with it. So anyway, so that's the engineer. Okay, um, so the they call the engineer in. He flies off, erects the garden. A mutant walks by um, and fixes the garden and calls Philip Boss. And we get introduced into the idea of what they're doing with mutants, which is basically enslaving them, turning them into 
maybe not necessarily mindless slaves, but certainly controlled. They got numbers, got a number on his face, a bright colored uh, skin tight suit. And so we get this uh, introduction of, okay, now now we start to know what's happened, which kind of makes me wonder why why they didn't introduce that a little bit more in the previous issue to make mm-hmm. the setup a little strong. Right. I don't know how he would have done that, but it seems like maybe, maybe we didn't need to wait this long, but it's not that long, so. Uh, but yeah, so we get that. <clears throat> now, Gene Janier uh, is talking to the chief magistrate about what all is happening, basically. Gene Janier complains that the press gang failed to catch the other X-Men. They Everyone keeps talking about how the X-Men are invisible. I don't know how many times someone in these four issues makes a comment <laughs> about how they can't see at least every four pages. There's a reference to how the X-Men are indivis- indivisible. Indivisible? Invisible. Under one gun? United. <laughs> Stayed up, my hand over my heart, pledge allegiance. Right. Um, invisible. Everyone keeps talking about that. It's it's an interestingly, which I get. It would be surprising for all of these folks, but it's just funny that Chris Clare, Chris Claremont felt the need to say it so much. I think part of it to remind uh, us because it will play into the story later. Yeah, I mean it's a big part of the story. It's just funny how almost every single character that's introduced makes comments <laughs> on it. Right. But whatever. All right, so we go there. Now we go to the prison cell. The gene engineer is checking it out, where we have a cowering, a, a, a crashed Wolverine and a cowering rogue in the corner, where we get some suggestions about some kind of sexual assault yeah. or abuse. Possibly rape, uh, which it, I was thinking the last arc we talked about there being some kind of less than obvious rapey suggestions. Right. <laughs> and then here we have a more direct suggestion. Now, ultimately, it, it turns out that she isn't sexually assaulted, but well, that they just were. Yeah, not for a rape anyway. Threatening that they were going to. Right. So we, we, we can come back to that some more in a minute. But at the moment, as the reader, all you know is you see a cowering rogue in what looks like a pretty classic post-rape scene from the 80s. I mean, we're right. a fetal position in the corner. Magistrate doesn't seem to care for that and says that those guys should be punished, which is, you know, whatever. Um, bad thing. Sad for rogue, of course. And then we jump back to Sydney where the press gang is trying to get out. The X-Men find them, though. Psylocke interrogates them. Um, from there, she's completely horrified because she sees what they're doing, how they're treating mutants. She sees the whole thing, basically, as far as we can tell. And really kind of seems like she was ready to kill these guys right here. Uh, but she doesn't, obviously. But um, she's pretty upset about it. Uh, then the rest of the press gang breaks out of jail, and they start trying to make their way back to Genosha. X-Men regroup. The... The, not the Wanderer. What's the teleporter guy? Gateway. Gateway. There you go. Uh, Gateway brings them back. They regroup. Sends them off again. Now, right as they take away, we have this weird moment where Nastir, Nastir, I guess, Naster, whatever, some little dragon-looking guy from the the uh, Sim world, Limbo. leaves a message. 
Limbo. <laughs> he leaves a voicemail. Yeah. He leaves basically a voicemail. It's like, oh, calling about the merchandise, but I'll call back later. Have a nice day. Oh, that was kind of <laughs> I enjoyed that a little bit. Um, so we go back to Genesha. Uh, little Moreau is shocked as he sees Jenny's, the nurse, Jenny's parents arrested. He's shocked by this. Um, and he gets beaten up. Or not, he almost gets beaten. almost gets a beat down from a magistrate as he tries to get in the way. And we have kind of a weird panel in which it shows his face where he's kind of choked a little. Then he looks a little frustrated. Then he looks a little scared. Then he looks a little angry. And then he runs off crying. I thought it was kind of an interesting. It's like, I don't know. I felt like the last panel, like he's about to be really mad. But then it goes and then it's like him running like a little kid with his hand over his face. Right. Seemed a little uh, weird in emotions, but he's feeling a lot of emotions, and so... Well, well, we'll no one's out. ever laid a hand on him before, so... That's true. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll find out more about that as we get, uh, as we get deeper into to Big Moreau and Little Moreau's relationship. All right, we cut back to Rogue. They talk about how she wasn't actually raped, but she was touched, and she hasn't been touched forever because of her powers. Right. So the idea that they were able to just manhandle her, and she couldn't do anything about it. Obviously shocking and upsetting. Threats about more to come. She retreats it deep into her psyche where they, she then has to face the uh, psychic residue of all the people she's absorbed. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That was interesting. But more importantly, she finds Carol Danvers, or uh, Marvel Girl. Miss Marvel. And Carol says, hey, what? Miss Marvel. Marvel Girl is Jean Grey. Yeah, Miss yeah. Marvel. Carol Danvers says, hey, I'm not a mutant, so my powers are fine. Let me take over. And she says, okay. And so she takes up. Well, it's not that her powers are fine. It's that she has the experience that she can <clears throat> do what she needs to do without powers. Okay. Because she was, I assumed that it was because, she, because she's not a mutant. And that, that meant the, the, the strength, of her super strength and her ability to fly and all that was still intact. I don't Although think I so. Although I guess she doesn't fly. No, so I don't think so. I don't think she has because I don't think she just takes over Rogue's body as it is. Like she basically she moves into the driver's seat. More about the mental capacity. Yeah, okay, but she doesn't change <laughs> anything physically. Okay, well that makes Carol Danvers even more of a badass, I guess. Yes, it does. I kind of assumed, which I thought that was a bit of a stretch, but I kind of assumed the idea was that her powers were intact, and so if she took over. Rogue would still have some of those powers. Oh. But they didn't really specify, because I thought maybe the idea of Mind Wipe, specifically it was mutant powers that he was able to take away. So, I don't know. Anyway, but I think you're probably right. As I, as I think about it, they don't show her doing anything except fighting. So yeah. Anyway, so Carol Danvers takes over. The magistrates come back to uh, actually f- fulfill their uh, threats. Of sexual assault, but then Carol Danvers kicks all their asses, which is a pretty good scene as well. Wolverine's barely conscious. They get out. They can't find Madeline or Ginny. Um, we go back to the Gene Engineer's house where the son finds finds out what's happening to Ginny, that she's undergoing some kind of mutant gene alteration process. So we're finding out is the Gene Engineer is taking mutants and finding the powers they have but then redirecting those powers towards whatever the needs of the state are. Yeah. Ginny has the power for healing, but they don't need any healers, and so they're going to transfer that to breaking rock, which I thought was kind of weird, but 
whatever. So she's going to work in industrial. <clears throat> anyway, we also find out that uh, Philip was in love with Jenny, that they were about to be engaged. Um, and Dr. Moreau is pretty cold about it. It's pretty just like, um, it's how it has to be. Sorry. No real, uh, sympathy. <clears throat> so we cut to Carol, I mean, not Carol, um, Madeline and Jenny on the table, uh, about to be psychically interrogated. And then the little, um, Nestor guy shows back up on their screen and says, there you are <laughs> trying to find you. <laughs> Then she says later, um, and then he says, your slightest wish is my command, and then blows up all the screens. Yeah. Which leads to a big power failure, um, which then allows Wolverine and Rogue to make their move. Wolverine pops his claws and um, goes to work, as we, uh, as we see. They also make a fantastic Millennium Falcon Star Wars reference, and then... Um, Carol Danvers uh, vows revenge. Yep. Says they'll be sorry. It will be sorry. We'll make these clowns regret they ever laid eyes on us. She says. <laughs> yes, sir. So, yep. Um, so, what do you think? Overall? You know, a couple of things. I, I do want to point out on page two, we get a through the door snicked. Yep, that was awesome. Punches his claws and these solid steel doors we talked You're about Moreau. Yeah. we talked about rogue a little bit we'll talk about that more in a second i did think there was a particularly great page on page 14 where psylocke finds out all about genosha just looks really good yeah uh, i like in the mind of the of the magistrate guy it was a really great panel right and uh, we find out that Wolverine without powers, that something's going on. They don't really talk about it as much this issue. But he's definitely like out of sorts, without a healing factor. That, yeah. That he's, he's weak, you know? Uh, yeah. He does still have claws without his powers. So that's. His bones are still adamantium, of course. Right. But yeah, he doesn't. He's just very tired, very beat down. And basically dying. And I guess the idea is when he pops his claws, it doesn't heal, so he's just bleeding from his hands, too. Right. So, yeah, but overall, uh, I thought the art was great. I agree. We can highlight this some more uh, at the end, but Sylvester's style fits this story so much better than Leonardo's style. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost hard to make the switch back and forth. As yeah. the reader. Yeah, I agree. And Sylvester really nails it all the way from cover to back. It's just perfect. Yeah. I also thought this story did everything that I maybe wanted in the first issue. Um, yeah. That it does a really great job of setting up the world, of building kind of the universe of Genosha. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't find out everything, but it really just fleshes out what the island is all about where they are, what what they're doing wrong. I mean, everything is just kind of, yeah. if not directly explained, at least more hinted at. And then we see, of course, lots of, of what's going on on the island. I just I like this one a lot more than 235. Yeah. A lot I mean, more. I think my only complaint would be that I, I wish 
I wish they had put a little bit more of it, and we already basically said this, but in the, the issue before, because I felt like they packed so much into this one that it was great, but it was just a lot of stuff happened in this issue. Yeah. And I kind of wished, I, I, I think I would have liked to sit with what was happening in Genosha a little bit more. Because in the next, the, you know, the next issue, it's going to be, it continues to be fast paced and we'll get a lot more reveals, but it's all more like, I don't know. It's like, I feel like four issues was the perfect length, but I feel like they didn't do enough in the first issue. And so it feels like it quits being enough because I feel like they, I wish they had kind of introduced a little bit of Genosha so that you could have had a little more time, you know, maybe to see a little bit more of the slaves in action. I mean, I don't know. I guess right. you see it. I guess you, I mean, I, you get the point. So maybe you don't need any more, but I guess I just kind of felt like it would have been nice to kind of build the, I guess maybe what I would have liked to have seen, and maybe this would be more kind of at the end comment is see the, the, the regular people of Genosha a little bit more. Right. Cause really all we see are the magistrates, the mm-hmm. leaders, and then Philip. And so right. Philip's horrified. But I think maybe it would have helped to see a few more scenes of like a trash like the trash guy, but it's a it's a it's a magistrate that he fights with. I think it might have been more Im- impactful. I'm not crazy about that word, but impactful if that had been just a regular Genosian who was treating him that way. Right. And so I think maybe that's the only thing lacking is there's there's not enough um, we get we can get into some historical parallels of this but kind of there's not enough like how the average people are benefiting from this even if they're not aware of the terrible conditions showing us this is how and they, they kind of do with the, with the reporter in the next issue I think where they kind of describe the beauty of Genosha right but I don't know. It seems like it would have been more affecting if you could have seen, I don't know, a few more things. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, but that's, that's not really a complaint. That's just like, a, I would have liked to see more of that. But yeah, I hear you. The story's not weakened by that at all. I think it just would have been even stronger. So uh, I do want to point out this is uh, officially Wolverine's 14th birthday in this issue. Nice. Yeah. Birthday. Yeah. Um, all right, so the rogue thing, how you have any extra comments on that? Um, I felt like even though it was it was shocking, it kind of caught me caught me off guard a little, I guess, with with right. talked by it, but I didn't feel like because we spent a long time, it seems like a long time ago, but when we the last time when we did it, we talked, we had that whole discussion about kind of sexual violence and stuff, right. And I didn't feel like they replicated any of that here. Like even even with the first scenes where Rogue is is fighting naked, and and obviously you have that scene of her naked in the cell. But I didn't really. F- there wasn't any scenes that felt kind of icky. Like there were several things in the in that last arc we talked about. Right. Kind of like ah, this. This is a little bit unsettling. Here it was a little more. I felt like they they handled it better. I guess. Well, for one thing, they didn't show any. They didn't show you any of the processing scene where she's getting her suit put on, yeah. and all that. Where this stuff, you know, took place. Right. We're only hearing it in <clears throat> hindsight through conversation. So there's yeah. nothing. I mean, if you want to be like titillated by this, you have to do that yourself. Right. They don't do that for you. 
You know what I'm saying? So there's nothing to visually to be like, oh, is this inappropriate? Like, it's just yeah, something that happened and you see the aftermath of it. Um, you know, it's, I was definitely kind of more, it hit me stronger. And then when you find out, you know, that it didn't really happen quite that way, it's a, it's a very big sigh of relief. It's not, I'm not one of those guys that thinks like it's always wrong to depict rape or to show that as like, like it's an easy, I think some of the criticism is that it's an easy thing to do to women in movies or stories or whatever that just, we don't really know what to do, which is, you know, we want them to be weak, which is have them raped or whatever. Um, this uncreative sometimes, but I, you know, besides the fact that the, the Lifetime Network made a, a career out of showing <laughs> of movies where people got um, raped or abused or whatever and then had to rise above that, which I yeah. think if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to depict this kind of thing, and even here where it's maybe not necessarily the whole thing, it needs to be in a way to where you're not shown much. So there's yeah. no chance of it being glorified or or any chance of it being eroticized at all or anything. Right? It's just shown it, as something disturbing and ugly, and, and that's what it should be. Yeah. And then also, if you, if you use that as a catalyst to make the person overcome that. Yeah. And so, and I think this kind of does both. You avoid kind of any of the graphic nature of the scene, and then her attackers get their comeuppance. And so yeah. I think it's a little bit better maybe than what we what we dealt with before. But it, it still is definitely, especially that first scene where it's a little more vague. You don't find out later like kind of what really happened. It's definitely uncomfortable. Yeah, it I is. Mean, I mean, it's a, it's a reality. And so I think... Right. I mean, I think that in a situation like this... That is a very strong reality for for women in, in positions like this, you know. And so, and and I think and we'll talk at the end, kind of, kind of like probably the three main things that Genosha is an allegory for. Okay. And I think in any of those three circumstances, you there are real life stories that correlate to this kind of abuse. Yeah. And certainly. so I don't think Claremont's really out of line with it. But no, it no. is definitely hard to read. It is hard. But I, I like I said, I think they it was handled better. Yes. And so I think it was more powerful. And I'm and yeah. I'm, you know I mean there are times to be more graphic and there are times to be less graphic and I'm not trying to be overly scandalizing about it, you know. It's like, you know, sometimes you wanna see you need to see the action as part of it, but I think in this case Unlike the last time where it didn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't even really that important to the story. It was just like, right. what did, you know? And so here it made sense. It fit the story. I think in this case, not being graphic about it built the tension more right. because it's not what ultimately happened. And so the idea is they kind of left you hanging with that and then you get a little bit of a relief, but it's still obviously a horrible incident. Right. So, yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and you mentioned this already, but especially with Rogue, because she's not ever allowed to have that skin-to-skin skin, skin skin contact. And obviously, they, when they transferred here, they were naked, and they had to have this suit basically like glued onto them, right? It's kind of the process that it, it appears to be. And so people were manhandling her 
you know, in a very vulnerable position. And to go from wanting that kind of intimacy and contact you can't have, and then suddenly it's being forced on you. I mean, it's almost like the emotional equivalent of, of being abused anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and also, you think going forward, spoiler alert, she gets her powers back. And so then this becomes the time when people touched her. Right. Or, you know, that's it. I mean, she, you know, as, as a young child before her powers manifested, the times when she's taking someone's energy, which I assume feels differently. Right. And this, you know, and so like for. <laughs> Until she has a time where she loses her powers again for some reason or something happens, this is what is what's going to be in her mind related to that. Yeah. So it's like a long term. It's like a long term uh, act of violence in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Cool. Well, um, can we grade this? Not yet. You have anything else you want to say? Um, I don't think so. It's it's good. Fast-paced. I liked it. Yeah. So I gave 236. You know, I, I jumped up considerably from 235. I gave it six out of six claws. I, I love this issue. I did too. To me, it's it's great. It's, yeah. Again, my only complaint is that I just wanted more. So <laughs> right. that's a good complaint. And I cover, man, the cover alone. Yep. Pretty great. Pretty great. So good. All right, well, 237, who's human? Um, Who is human? So we go back to the other two. Well, actually, it's not completely the same. Uh, Chris Claremont, the writer. Leonardi back on pencils. This time, Terry Austin is inking. That might make a difference. Uh, Tom Orzakowski, the letterer, and Glennis Oliver, of course, the colorist. The cover is by Leonardi again. And it's all aboard the mutant train. And we have a train. And we have Rogue and Wolverine, uh, or Carol Rogue, I guess, and Wolverine hanging on the top of the train for dear life. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't don't like this cover by Leonardo either. It's not quite as The layout's better. There's a good idea for a cover here. It just doesn't, it's not executed well. Yeah, it's better than the other one because, like you said, the le- there there is an interest that the idea is really interesting, but Wolverine's face is weird. It sounds rogues. Their calves look giant. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was very just not interested in that cover. Yeah, yeah. And to come from the one before, I mean, I don't keep raving about two thirty six cover, <laughs> but such a classic cover, and then you got this, and it's like, oh, there you go. So a big letdown. Right. Right. Well, in this issue, the Genosian engineer and magistrates pursue Wolverine and Rogue over international waters. But when they board the air car, it explodes. So if the car was empty, they're still on Genosha. And, you know, I kind of talked about how important it was that they were invisible to technology. Yeah. They were pursuing this car the whole time thinking, oh, well, we can't see them, but they're still in there. And then it actually turned out, no, it really was empty. <laughs> and so we we know our heroes are still on the island. Um, Wait, are they invisible? What? Can they not see them on their instruments? No, they I can't. I feel like anyone's told me that. <laughs> I feel like that's a new reveal. It hasn't been mentioned? Okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> 
Um, the authorities suspect our heroes are foreign spies. Uh, Claremont squarely reminding us that we're in the middle of the Cold War. Um, yeah. After running test, the gene engineer discovers Wolverine is dying without his powers. So we get a Genosian history lesson and propaganda. Yeah. Wolvie and Carol, and Carol Rogue start a bar fight to swipe some IDs. <laughs> they overhear about a mute train, which is not a train that can't talk, but a train full of mutates. Yeah, um, that was interesting that yeah. they kept the term mute instead of mutey. Right, yeah, it was interesting. They tell the magistrates who beat up and plan to put the engineer's son on the train. The engineer sends his niece to be processed, which they said that, right? She calls him uncle, but I, I think it was, I don't think he's actually her niece. Because okay, because then like, Philip but, and Jennifer are cousins getting married. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, because I think she might have said something like, like an uncle to me oh, or something. Okay, all right. You're I think the idea is their families were really close. Okay. But it was a weird choice. Yeah. When they're making the whole point about the love, and it's like, why Why do they even need to, why does she even need to call them that? Right. Yeah. But I guess they wanted to create some, it does, on the other hand, create a, a more more tragedy to it, because she has such a familiarity with him, and yeah, he's but, so... All right, so you're assuming that they're about to be engaged, like probably interaction with the future in-laws. I mean, you would think they were already kind of, that to me is enough of a closeness. Yeah. They're like, you were going to be my father-in-law. How can you do this to me? It's just, right. yeah. Well, she could have yeah. just called him by his first name. I mean, they, they could have done other things right. than use the term uncle. But I think the use of the term uncle raises the level, even again, if it's, it's, it's a, not a literal uncle, but it raises the stakes of the familiarity to make it, an even more tragic scene because it's like, you mean or not? You really convey a real like. You're supposed to look out for me because you're my uncle of sorts, you know. And he's so cold with her about it, and so like, well, this is just how it has to be. Sorry, you're gonna have to get manipulated, and yeah, which is how I was when he was talking to it with his son too. But yeah, but yeah, it was a weird uh, element of confu- an unnecessary confusion, I think. Yeah. Right. Anyway, he sends his, his niece or not niece to be processed and preaches about mutants sustaining Genosha. The rest of the X-Men teleport to Genosha and take out a security team, but Psylocke collapses after she tries to side-probe them. Turns out it was just psychic backlash shockwave from Jennifer, whose powers are suddenly uh, amplified. Meanwhile, on mutant train, Logan and Carol Rogue break into the train and find the engineer's son uh, dressed as magistrates. The train stops and they take the boy off and uh, witness horrific treatment of mutants. Wolverine swears justice and um, for all of Genosha. Yeah. He's, he's gonna he's gonna take it to him, take him to task. I thought when Psylocke collapses that it was that was the event with Madeline playing out in real time. Was it Madeline or Jennifer? Because they talk about taking Jennifer and they do with the uncle and all that, but they had also said over the speaker that they were about to do they said we're about to initiate in-depth sky scan, sky scans on mutant 9818 which is Madeline. 
And then he says, that's when he says, take, take Ginny, basically. And so they're doing stuff with Ginny there. But then when they go back, as they show Matt, they show Psylocke collapse and they show that picture where, and you can see dead people around. And so I think that's referencing back to what happened with Madeline, which we'll get even more of that in the next issue. Oh, I thought, see, I thought Jennifer, it was her powering up because they're trying to process her and she's like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, and um, I could be wrong, but but I felt like the the death of that guy there. Unless I mean, unless Jenny. Oh, wait. Alt- wait, does Jennifer Ransom have red hair? Uh, no, she's still blonde hair, I think. Oh, was oh, this Madeline the whole time? No, or brown hair. No, this is her talking. What she's saying, Uncle. Because look, because on page twenty, at the bottom of page twenty. Yeah. He says, we're about to in-depth size scans of 9818, which is Madeline. And then he, then the guy says, okay, please come get 9817, which is Jennifer. And so then the next couple of scenes is him with Jennifer, with Jenny. Okay. Still calling yeah. him uncle about children, talking about that. And so they try, to, they try to get in her brain and she won't let him. So her powers yeah. manifest. See, I thought she killed everybody when her powers... Yeah, I think that was just a sign that it was painful for her. And that, because he's what he says, if you resist, there will be pain. And so she's screaming, and so I think there's pain there. But when they, they, they show the event here, I mean, it's not clear, so it could be either way. But in my mind, this was, we're going forward with what's happening with Madeline, with the in-depth size scan, where she, you know, what we'll find out in the next issue, where she turns into the limbo lady. And then actually does, you know, kill all the people in the room. Right. Okay. But it could be the way. It's not clear either way. And it doesn't really affect the story either way. But that's just kind of what I thought. All right. I have a science medical question. I know how white blood cells would relate to, you know, antibodies and healing factor and stuff like that. How do red blood cells tie into the healing factor? I think maybe it just had to do, at least I, I just assumed it meant it had to do with him regenerating his blood loss. Oh, okay. All right. Because gotcha. he's bleeding from the um, claws and all that. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yep. And then, of course, we see, you mentioned this earlier, but we get a visual example that uh, Wolverine's claws are making him bleed out. Um, as we see blood all over the backs of his hands. And he says, normally, then they heal as soon as the claws pop out. Like, it already starts healing. Right. Um, now it can't do that. So we get a different kind of take on the healing factor sustaining Wolverine. In, the, yeah. in other future stories, we find out that the healing factor, we get more specific, and that is actually like keeping the adamantium like yeah. from, from kind of poisoning him. We don't get that here yet. Here we just get the idea that, you know, his his body's taken so much over the years without his healing factor now, there's nothing to keep him, you know, going strong. Right. Well, and we know by this point, not how old he is, but that he is old. Right. And, you know, the idea of the healing factor dealing with that. And then certainly, I mean, they, they got roughed up, they're fighting, and yeah. Right. Takes his lumps a lot harder now. <laughs> yep, yep. Art, though, 
is better than the first Leonardo issue, and I, I'm going to credit Terry Austin with some of that. Yeah. He's a phenomenal inker, and he he cleans this up a little bit. It's still not great. I just really dislike the way he draws Wolverine's face, at, at, least, at least in these two issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's not very good. It, probably always, but... but. It doesn't bother, in the past. It doesn't bother me quite as much, but man, it's just I don't know. I really just like the way he draws it in this issue. But yeah, overall, it again, it doesn't fit the story. It's too messy. It's too kind of all over the place. Right. Colossus is too bubbly for some reason. <laughs> but the story, on the other hand, is pretty dang good. I thought. Yeah, very good. Yep, yep. They're killing it. Yeah. So what are you, you going to give 237 overall? I'm going to give it a 6 again. Okay. In spite of the art, but I feel like the story itself is, is so good that I, over, I will overcome the art part of it. All right. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 237 5 out of 6 claws. The art did not drag it down nearly as much because the story was a lot stronger. But yep. I, I just I don't know if I can give... Anything with that art six claws. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But it's okay that you did. I'm just generous tonight, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's overall, and like I said, we're not really letting any cats out of the back. Overall, this is a really great story. So, yeah. Right, well, let's, let's finish it up. 238. Oh, bring it on home. So. Gonna be a revolution. We're back to. Well, still Chris Claremont. Back to Mark Silvestri, Dan Green, Glennis Oliver, Tom Wozniakowski. So, yeah, we are back with the the real team, I guess. The A team. So we open with a little girl picking flowers. What about the cover? Oh, cover, cover, cover. Um, good cover. Very good. Great cover. cover. I like it a lot. Um, I really like the Wolverine. I mean, of course, Silvestri is. Going to show over his career that he's a pro at Wolverine. But, yeah, um, and the Colossus, I think, is really great, too. Yeah, and the Genosian soldiers, who very similarly kind of making the edges of the cover, much like what Leonardi did on 235, but it looks a lot better. Yeah, but his was terrible. So, <laughs> yeah, great cover. <clears throat> All right, so we open up with a little girl picking flowers. Uh, with the gene engineer and a telepath interrogating her, they're basically trying to figure out where what she's doing, why she's there, why she's a little girl. It's very just kind of haunting and bizarre. And then it zooms in on her eyeball, and you can see the phoenix oh. fire, which I thought was a pretty badass panel. Yeah, and I kill her, and then she just starts blowing everything up. And then um, we end up with the. Apparently, the telepath that was leading the deep size scan is now in in a very ridiculous Mr. Sinister outfit. <laughs> Made the more ridiculous in that it's just a nerdy looking dude right. in this giant suit. It's a cosplayer, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking about what he's doing, and then now suddenly we see Madeline in her limbo outfit, uh, the black the Goblin Queen outfit. Goblin yeah, Queen, right. which I don't think that term has been used yet. So. I probably should lay off it. But. Yeah, I, I was trying to remember what what I felt like there was a term they gave her. They will. It just hasn't happened yet. But I mean, when they 
that issue where we saw it saw her turn into the I felt like there was a name they used, but I couldn't remember what it was and I didn't I didn't ever oh, go back. No. Anyway. <clears throat> um but yes, and so she's really kind of taunting this the uh psych I keep wanting to say psychologist, telepath, uh until she kills it. And so it turns out it was just a they were watching the Genosian leaders were watching a video <clears throat> of what was happening in her head when they were trying to interrogate her and we find out what we talked a little bit about in the last issue that she ends up killing everybody in the room and it's a pretty big deal. They don't know what to do. Basically they don't know what to do with it. They're mad at, um, uh, mind wipe for not fully taking care of it. And everyone's mad at everybody. So Jean Janeer goes down the hall to talk to Madeline and they start having a debate about slavery and what it means to be a slave and what may or may not have happened. Um, the, the chief magistrate's not interested in having this debate, basically tells him to stop it. And what I thought was kind of a great line, because she says, basically, you're a fool, engineer, to debate with her. Yeah. She says, it gives her it gives her views a validity they do not merit. Anyway, the, she says, either, what, either we are right in what we do, in which case argument is pointless, or we are wrong, in which case argument is equally pointless. I thought that was really great. <laughs> yeah really great way to put that out. And then she mentions about something that happened to the engineer's son. So now we jump to the outskirts of town. Well, not the outskirts of town. The, uh, the mutant, um, mutant the highways. Area. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so now we have, uh, rogue and Wolverine dressed like Genosian soldiers walking with Philip Moreau, um, in through the mutant camp. And he sees all the soldiers and he's, Still very naive about it, but starting to figure out that this is slavery, right? That, that it's not, you know, they have this discussion about how he kind of just figured, well, the mutants, after their job, they went home and that was the end of it. But that it's like, well, no, they're being guarded and prisoners. And then this, one of the things about this issue is there's a lot of lecturing, a lot of people lecturing each other in this issue, which I thought was really interesting. And it's not, it's never done in a, in a campy way that irritated me. No, I, just, I, I enjoyed most of it. Yeah. I was in, it was just interesting to me how much lecturing there was. It was kind of funny. So, so anyway, Wolverine kind of lectures Philip for a little bit, and then Rogue lectures him for a little bit about. I wrote you lecture him on racism, slavery, and otherness, and so. Um, but then suddenly, the chief magistrate finds them. They fly them back while they're in the well, air. How did he they, find? Or how does she find them? Is uh, oh yeah, they talk about how because they're invisible, <laughs> they we, are. We just find that out that they're <laughs> that this time it worked against them because the guards reported that Philip was being escorted by two magistrates, but then they couldn't see them on right. the screen. Yeah. But in this case, they caught um, <clears throat> in the air. They get some turbulence on their ship, and one of the magistrates says, "Forecast." was for clear sky. Now there's nothing but storm. Uh-uh. Storm. <laughs> of course, hints that the X-Men are here. We go back to the cells where Madeline and um, Jenny are talking about what's going on, comforting each other. Um, oh. And Madeline really express, they come to take Jenny away and Madeline is expressing her anger that she says I'll see you all burn yeah, first. And in her video she mentioned Inferno. Yeah. So, so we're talking Hellfire's coming. Yep. 
as um as the uh oh, forget i was gonna make a quote but i forgot who it was so never mind. i'll think of it in a minute all right so uh, where was I? I lost where I was. Uh, they're in the cell. Okay, if we go back to Wolverine and Rogue, um, now we have the engineer lecturing his son um, on life, labor, and utility, where we start to really get into the purpose of mutants and how everything Genosians have built have been on the backs of mutants. And so they needed these thousands of mutants, or, or hundreds of mutants, I mean, uh, to prop up the lives of the 10 million people. Really reinforcing the basically bullshit that we got from the reporter earlier right. about how you know she was a perfect community and everything was the best uh, but it's like utopian community but built on the misery of these hundreds of people um, so we get some lecturing there Phillips though really talking about it and Wolver a rogue in the midst of that as, as Philip is basically questioning this and the father is saying you should stop questioning this because these are state secrets you're talking about I guess because the idea is that no other regular Genosians have seen any of this and so the right. fact that Philip even saw it now is a real problem <clears throat> and so rogue then in a what I thought was pretty great quotes the Abraham and Isaac story about Abraham sacrificing his son the Bible story Right in context of what's happening here between his father, uh, while Philip is uh, throwing shade on the whole system, the whole Genosian system, he begins to question. Right. That was a great kind of... I knew the magistrate kind of like, this isn't new. Maybe you never questioned it yeah. because you didn't want to know the answer. Exactly. So the she showing, and again, we'll, we'll talk about more allegory later, but kind of how sometimes... When your leadership is doing something wrong, ignorance truly can be bliss. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where, like I mentioned earlier, maybe seeing some of that more would have been. Yeah. I think to see people going about their business with kind of the, the mutant slaves around. But yeah, so chief magistrate, she starts lecturing Philip as well. Um, then Wolverine drops a bomb about being a slave before, which I thought was interesting. And then uh, Rogue is like, huh? But then he pops his claws and goes to work. <laughs> and so um, in the midst of that, the X-Men also sneak in. The rest of the X-Men have snuck inside the building, and so they start wrecking the place. And so now we have both battles playing out at the same time, only a few floors apart, I think. Madeline goes to rescue the babies, says something about the room feeling familiar. Uh, but then the engineer shows up with a gun, and they Madeline basically tries to call his bluff. Uh, but then Philip blocks the father's shot, demands to see Jenny. Then I think I missed something. Uh, no, maybe not. It says demands to see Jenny. Then we go kind of cut to uh, the outside where all the soldiers are standing there with their arms up. And the engineer and the son are all standing around. Oh, there's Jenny. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she gets that. See, that was her there. So... They don't really give any a good resolution on the Ginny part of that. No, she just is outside. <laughs> She's just there, and so it's not really. Well, did they start changing her yet? Is she? Can she go back to normal? I don't know. Uh, that, that was one critique I had, and that that felt like that was a story they built up that there was no, there wasn't a satisfying conclusion for that part of it. But right. but yeah, all right. So 
Danvers holds Wipeout hostage. Psylocke uses Wipeout's powers to reverse the wipe on Rogue and Wolverine. So they begin to get their powers back. As as uh, as Rogue's strength comes back, Danvers slips back. At least I think. I don't think they actually say that explicitly. But it's kind of what I thought they were suggesting, that as Rogue got stronger, Danvers kind of fell to the background. But she doesn't say anything else, so I don't know. Well, that's going to be a big story, too. So I was thinking there's more to that than that, because they had the whole thing earlier about, is she going to give her back control? So, right. um, so they get powers come back. Um, and then Wolverine basically says, let's burn this sucker down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the whole island. I mean, basically, he's ready to, to destroy everybody. Um, and Philip convinces them not to destroy it and to give him a chance to convince the people of Genosha. He's convinced that if they saw what he saw, that they would do the right thing. Um, and so the X-Men agree to take him basically into exile so he can start a mutant rights movement from exile. And then Havoc blows up the Citadel anyway, though. Just Well, yeah, but the Citadel's <laughs> like the... The we got to blow something up. Yeah. And of course, it's part of the statement of, you know, listen to your son or this is what's going to happen. Right. More. And then we have a Havoc and Madeline reunion. Yeah. With and full we'll open mouth kiss. <laughs> I was looking at that and I couldn't tell if they're smooching or hugging. I'm pretty sure she like. It looks kind of like a smooch, but... Yeah, that's the way I read it. Is he not with Polaris anymore? Uh, who knows? Did they break up in No one knows where she is at this point, I, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I was trying to remember what, what, where, why she was... She, uh, she got taken over by the necklace. Ah, uh, And she ran right. off with the Marauders. Oh yeah, okay. To, to, Never mind then. To die in uh, internal to be continued. Okay, I <laughs> forgot what what uh, what had happened to her, and I was trying to remember why she yeah. went around. All right, well there you go. So I guess we're we're uh, moving towards um, a relationship between the two of them. Oh yeah. It's always great when you, you hook up with your ex sister in law. <laughs> it, it sounds <laughs> like perfect summers. Classic, classic summers. Yeah. Uh, having a Polaris were never married, though, were they? No. 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 So, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so that kind of wraps it up. And then, if, uh, of course, Psylocke mixes everybody's brains up so they won't remember any of the X-Men because uh, they're trying to be invisible in case you didn't, you didn't catch right. that. Yeah. They're trying to stay invisible. Um, well, but they remember that people were there, just not specifically there are the X Men. Yeah, they remember the battles and everything that happened. Yeah. They just don't remember. But the otherwise, fate. otherwise, Wolverine's threat is completely empty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he has a great last. Like his, he gets the last say in this storyline. Oh yeah, and uh, it's pretty great. He says, "Remember what Storm said, Engineer, and pray your boy succeeds. Because if you don't, you have to deal with us." And then, Bub, there'll be blood. Yep. There will be blood. There will be blood, yeah. Yep. My milkshake! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you fall asleep? <laughs> <laughs> I had a comment I want to make. It's really killing me that I can't remember it. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Oh, I'll think of it in a minute. My brain's tired, I guess. Summer brain. Yeah, so we get a lot of um, a lot of Madeline stuff in this issue. A lot of stuff that'll really kind of... We still don't completely know her story yet. Yeah, we don't. We know that she looks like Jean, and we'll find out what that means, but um, yeah. a lot of scenes are laid here. We see the phoenix fire in the eyeball. Yeah. Right? There's some connection there. We see that somehow she has something to do with Mr. Sinister. Yeah. And that's why she puts the guy in the costume, right? Yep. Um, the Nas- Nastir guy is able to find her. Yeah. Just through computers. Right. So we know that there's already been a conversation started there. Which um, we already, she was already tied to the limbo people, but. Right. I guess the, the depth of that involvement hasn't really been revealed yet. At least not in Uncanny X-Men. I don't know. Right. We do see her holding the baby, which is a striking image, knowing what that she's missing her child, right? Yeah. And then she talks about the the cloning, or not, I guess, yeah, the cloning lab. Yeah. Really, it's not a cloning lab. It's like an artificial... Like a breeding center. Yeah. Because one, one, the baby was such a big deal because it was born naturally between yeah. two mutants, and that's not legal. It really they, shouldn't happen. It's kind of that Jurassic Park thing where, like, yeah. oh, the, the dinosaurs can't breed, and suddenly there's new dinosaurs, and you're like, oh, yeah. life will find a way. Well, life found a way in Genosha, and they had a baby. But, um, but she sees, like, the labs and stuff, and there's something that resonates with her. Yeah, and Some, something related to this cloning or gene... Yeah, yeah, so kind of start maybe planting the seed that, oh, maybe she's more closely tied to Jean than has been previously led on. It's not just that they look alike. There's a real kind of way they relate between the Phoenix and the the idea of cloning. And so we're really, really getting ready for a big story with her, which uh, comes up really soon. Inferno is just around the corner, so we'll see lots of that. So, um, a couple of just, I thought the art in this was really great. A couple of standouts. A lot of them have to do with Madeline's face. There's one before she zaps the Sinister uh, cosplayer. Her yeah. face is great. There's one where she's in the cell where you just see her eyes like in shadow. How about Del Burn? Yeah, another great. Well, even... Uh- there's another one, yeah. On page nine, which is another fantastic one. There's um, several. Yeah. As I scroll through here, there's quite a few great pan- uh, Madeline panels. Yeah, and some equally great Wolverine panels. There's um, when we get a snicked on page 22 where he's mostly in shadow and he's crouching. That's yeah. really fantastic because he pretends to faint. Yeah. And then, then he pops his claws and jumps up and starts stabbing people. It's, it's great. And then the other one where he jumps over the wall. Yeah. Where they've been shooting at him and, and uh, Carolyn Danvers and Rogue's body's like, dude, you're not vulnerable anymore. You can't charge right. these bullets. And he's like, screw it. Like, like, if, I, if I'm going to die, I'm going to have a lots of company. Which yeah. is just great Wolverine. Like, if he's yeah. going down, a lot of other people are going down with him. And the follow-up panel to that, the next <laughs> panel, also great. Just all these Genosian soldiers in like a blue shadow, but with just huge eyes. Right. 
in one of them where they have a real big bubble and then really small, they wrote Sweet Mercy. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was really great. And that was really good. Really well done. Yeah, the art, the art in this issue is so good. So good. And the story is also really good. Um, do you have anything particular to this issue? I have some kind of general comments, but... Um, no, not really any specific stuff. I mean, other than what we've covered already. Yeah. All right, when are you going to grade the closing chapter on Kenny X-Men 238? Um, I'm going to go six out of six again. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, before we talk about Genosha and... Gen- well, I don't know. These, these may intertwine... Obviously, this is the podcast that goes snicked. I want to talk a little bit about Wolverine in this story. Okay. Because I'm really... Let's do it. Not that we haven't had him kind of leading the charge in, like, mutant issues before. We kind of had the idea that, yeah, that's important, but he's going to fight anyway because he's a fight, he's a brawler, and he's always going to... It's always been like it's felt like more like he's been fighting on behalf of his teammates right. as opposed to fighting on behalf of ideals. Not that he hasn't had the ideals, but just his previous fights have been more centered around him being loyal to his, his family, which is the X-Men. They're his family. And, you know, either protecting them or avenging them or whatever. But we really get a strong sense that he does actually care about kind of the larger issues in this story because what he witnesses in Genosha like disturbs him to his, his adamantium core. And like he does, he wants to tear this whole just system down. He wants to kill everybody, you know, and I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed kind of seeing that kind of deeper motivation for violence. Yeah. And so I really enjoyed kind of his arc. Of course, this is the first time I really kind of see him lose his healing factor to this degree. And the idea that it doesn't change who he is. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe he can't take a shot, you know, through the heart like he could before. He can't get shot through the heart. But he's going to, he's not going to back down. Like he's still Wolverine. And so. I just, I really enjoyed, and yeah. you know, the story, a lot of the story focused on, I mean, all the X-Men are around, but this is really heavy on Wolverine, Rogue, and Madeline Pryor. Those are kind of our three central characters. Yeah. And so Wolverine really got to shine, I thought, in this whole story. I agree. It really highlighted, for Wolverine, you know, a lot of his, a lot of his story revolves around, in general, it's kind of the idea of, of just violence, right? That's right. kind of justified violence, right? That's a lot of his things. Like, he's violent, but what sets him apart from Berserker Wolverine or Sabretooth or any of the other kind of people he often gets kind of paired with, paired with, is this idea that he is not violent for violence's sake, but he's violent for justice or, or when things are right or wrong. Right. And so sometimes we see him struggle with that we have seen him in the past struggle with that giving in to the brute giving into the more kind of bestial nature of, of his violence and here this he sees something that is so horrible you, we, there's no there's no him questioning this right it's just like all of these folks gotta die right and it's, and the, the cool thing about it is too is it's a very rational 
cool decision that he makes. Yeah. He doesn't see this and then go berserk and like have to worry about whether he's in control or not. He's right. completely in control and he still wants to just serve it up yeah. to him. Exactly. Yeah, it's not just a he's he can't stop himself. It's a No, I is, want to do this. <laughs> this people need to die. Just yeah. this, this is it. The whole system's gotta go. Yeah. And even when the other X Men kinda overrule him, he makes sure it's known that hey, we'll I'll I'll go along with the team. And we'll yeah. give you a chance to fix this, but if you don't, I'm coming back, and hell's coming with me. <laughs> exactly. So. All right, Genosha. Um, obviously, a very pointed creation by Chris Claremont. Uh, very yeah. political. I kind of thought, and I'm sure other people can can either. Well, I'm, I'll, a other people have thought of this before. I'm not claiming any. Deep original insight, man. yeah. But I'm sure there are also other numerous analogies. But there were three big things that I thought of. Okay, you alluded to one already, which would be slavery. I bet it's the same. I bet it's the same three that I think, but we'll see. Probably. So, so slavery, right? Certainly. Um, really played it, and we'll, I'll, I'll list them, and then we'll talk about them. Um, South African apartheid. Yeah. Was the second one I thought of. And then also, obviously, I think there's some definite allusions to Nazi Germany. Yeah. And, you know, three of the more, what's the right way to say this? I guess scars on human history. I mean, these are three three things that, that make us look terrible as a, civiliz- as, as a global civilization. These are three things in our history that only messed up people are not ashamed of. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, obviously, he's not... I mean, you could argue as a low-hanging fruit, but I think it's, he writes it in a way that's very important and very... It feels relevant. I don't know. And I know you know, we're, in theory, past these time periods, but even today, or maybe even especially today, with some of the stuff where this kind of been kicked over that maybe had been hiding and it's all been brought to the forefront because of our current political situation. Being reminded of some of the darkness that's yeah. even in our own country still. I, don't know, I, just, I, I, was, I think, I don't think it's low hanging. I mean, I guess always low hanging fruit. That's, that's always the uh, charge maybe, but I felt like he did it in a really effective way. Yeah, me too. And then it wasn't like he just did a, a satire of South Africa, you know, or, right. I mean, it wasn't, it was, there wasn't like a, this is just a purely, he was, he's blending a lot of ideas. I think that helps him. Yeah, I, I agree. And I was going to say too, I think more than, than Nazism, although there, there is probably some to that too. Um, the, the gene joke term, we can kind of come back to that. That reminded me more of kind of a, reference to kind of the the disdain for the pop the, the population right uh, and i think the the idea of the the people what the people were doing i think is an important part where the nazi parallel comes in is that idea of you know the whole argument of, of the average german did they know what was going on right did they know anything and there's there, you know it's real hard to believe that no one the people didn't know anything. Right. I'm sure most people didn't know the extent, obviously, because it's being hidden from people. But 
anyway, that, so what responsibility does the average person have when, when they're benefiting from a system that is clearly exploitative and violent? Um, <clears throat> I also thought another parallel that I thought was a little broader than the Nazi one actually was more tied to Stalinist Russia. Okay. Kind of the, the idea that, especially when she's explaining it, she even makes that comment about how there's no private property. The idea that you have this oh, kind of utopian, okay. this utopian society where everything is perfect, everyone's equal, everything is good, but there's this dark underbelly that no one's talking about, right? That that most people don't know. They just think, well, mutants—they're just workers like me. We do our job; they do their job. It's fine. Right? They don't realize, right? You have this population that's being obviously violently exploited and all these terrible things. Um, so I, to me, I thought there was a parallel with kind of the Stalinist era communism, not necessarily all versions of communism, obviously, but, but right. kind of Stalin era of that really authoritarian, the keeping people in the dark, um, and really pushing the idea that everything is perfect. Don't look at those people. Everything is perfect, right? <laughs> right. Don't look at those people. Turn away, there. turn away, walk away. Those people think they're good. Yeah, I thought it was good. I liked the... Um, I liked how he waded a little bit into the debate over what makes a slave, because I think that's a debate that, as a historian of the era of American slavery, um, that people make a lot of the comparison of slavery. Were slaves taken care of? Were they fed? Were they housed? And because in, com- in the comic, the, the dad makes a couple of times references that idea that that most people would kill for this life because they they want those basic needs met right and so one of the arguments that pops up and in fact i read it on somebody's facebook just a couple days ago (laughs) relating to uh michelle obama's comments about how slaves had built the white house and some guy was trying to say how they weren't really slaves. It was it was utterly infuriating. But anyway, <laughs> disregard that point. But the point, you know, that idea that that slavery wasn't bad because people were taken care of, because they were fed, they were clothed. Now, the reality of how slaves were taken care of that wide varies pretty widely. But you know, your best case scenario of your I'm doing air quotes good slaveholder, right, your kind slaveholder, you know, they cared for the medical needs. Their slaves had enough food to survive. They had a place to live. Um, but they're still not free. Right. They're still owned, right? And so we have this this kind of breakdown, and it's like, well, it's not as bad, so it's okay. It's like, well, no, it's not the same thing. You're still talking about being owned. I mean, right. you're still someone's children being sold away from yeah, them. Or, still, still less than human. Right. And so in this kind of context here, we get this idea that, oh, because we've kind of mind wiped the slave, the the mutants, and because they're getting their needs met, so they're fine, then that makes it okay. It's like, well, they're humans, though. Are they? That's the question. Mutants, humans. But from the pro-mutant side, the argument would be they're people, too. We don't you know, cattle, or if you have an animal, it's like, well, they get enough food to eat, and so they're okay. <laughs> but that's not the same thing, right? People are, are different. But again, that's the, that's the debate. So the argument for the gene engineer, right, would be that the mutants aren't humans, and so they don't deserve, they don't need the 
freedom that everyone else needs. Right. Anyway, I enjoyed that they waded into that debate a little bit, as infuriated as it makes me when I hear it in other places. But I like the idea, because obviously I felt like they're he's going the right direction with it, trying to point out right. the hypocrisy of those. Well, I mean, so, our heroes are on the on the right side. So, And this is, one of the, this is another one of those stories that, as a young reader, this definitely kind of... It's one of those instances where the X-Men kind of help shape and start conversations in my head, you know, about, you know, worldview and stuff like that. So I think if everyone just read (laughs) X-Men. Yeah, definitely. At least good (laughs) X-Men. Exactly. You think Donald Trump ever read an X-Men comic? No, I don't think he can read. So you're asking the wrong person. Whole different story. Yeah, um, not even yeah, political on the show, but no. Mm. But I think that typically when you see these kind of parallels, especially one of this magnitude, trying to bring in slavery and apartheid and and communism and, and fascism and all these different things, rarely is it done so well. Yeah, uh, it's, it's hard, hard not to Claremont, be heavy-handed. This is Claremont at his pin you know not his finest like the only finest moment but the time when he's best this is it i mean he really weaves a great parallel story that never feels particularly heavy-handed i didn't feel like it was particularly clunky like i felt like it just it worked it made sense it fit um and it was very powerful i thought no i agree and um it it definitely holds up very very well yeah like I said, there, there's stuff, maybe not specific circumstances, that he may have been trying to address that have maybe changed, but yeah. some of the ideological arguments, some of the things that we need to try to be better as people, it's all still relevant, you know, sadly enough as that may be. Yeah. I, I think these are, these are ideas, these are thoughts, these are things we need to think about and talk about that still apply. And so yeah. it gives a kind of a timeless element to the story. I would guess in 1988, Claremont was probably most directly referencing apartheid. Probably, yeah. This is you know, the high tide. And, you know, and you, you got to look at the geography of where Genosha was, too. Yeah. It's off of Africa, so. Yeah, so I think probably that was the most direct um, parallel he was trying to draw, but I thought he drew on these other elements, or at least either directly or inadvertently. Right. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Anything else you want to talk about or mention? I don't think so. This is, I think, one of the best. This is up there with top five, ten arcs, I think. Yeah, I like it a lot. I liked it a whole lot. I said, I said I'll said, i say top ten. Top five right. seems a little tough to, to yeah. break into. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say it's on the short list. There you go. That's, that's vague enough, but still high praise. <laughs> How short is the list? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on again. So I'm gonna, listeners, I'm gonna hold Cameron to the fire. We will try to get um, the Wolverine number one out very soon as well, so it can still be in our anniversary month, um, and that'll be our officially four-year anniversary show. So that'll be exciting. Nice. Um, but yeah, uh, so what do you got going on? What, what do people need to know about? Um, I don't 
everything going on. School starts, meetings start next week. So um, summer's over for me. Yeah. This is my last few days of summer. So. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. Well, what's, what's your Twitter? At Cameron Sinclair. Although I haven't tweeted very much lately, but the social media is really bumming me out lately with, yeah, with all the nonsense. So It's I hard got, to be an American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to redo that. <laughs> uh, funny stuff. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, that's my my yes. Twitter at Cameron Sinclair, and I started an Instagram, although I haven't posted anything yet. So oh. I don't I, even know. If I, I have will. one in theory. I should have one. <laughs> yeah, I just felt like I should have one, but I don't. Uh, I also I also have a Snapchat, but I but I I literally only send funny photos to my daughter, wife, and brother. So there you go. So I don't know. Don't follow me on that because I'm not going to send you anything so. no. <laughs> for listeners. But Twitter, I might occasionally post something. You never know. So. You never know. Cool. Well, um, obviously for for the show, please like the Facebook page, uh, email snickcast at yahoo dot com. Twitter is at snickcast, and they got covered it all. Yeah, if you haven't read this, this you know. You know, we talk about a lot of a lot of things on the flashback episodes, and I think for the most part, we're overall usually pretty positive. I, yeah, it's pretty rare that we drop into to one and two clock category. Yeah. I think only a handful of times, maybe yeah. that we've given any that low. And this this is definitely one of those stories that, while I hope you would enjoy the episode either way, I would highly recommend. Either going, if you've never read it, go find this and read it for the first time. Or if you haven't read it in a while, go back yeah. and reread this. It is it is definitely well worth your time. So, definitely. Because I've, I've read, this is one I've read before. We're right. getting into, I've read a lot of the, the X-Men from here on already. Right. And I enjoyed it just as much again. It's, yeah, it's I did too. So, cool. Well, until next time, everyone. Thanks for listening. And hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye. And snacked.